You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey guys, it's Mike, and I am going to tell you about Lead Singer Syndrome. The Lead Singer Syndrome podcast brings you never-before-heard backstage conversations right into your headphones. Be a fly on the dressing room wall as host and Silverstein frontman Shane Told talks to other lead singers about what it's like to front a professional band. Past guests include Lynn Gunn of Paris, Vic Fuentes of Pierce the Veil, Fat Mike of NoFX, and many, many more. Check it out and subscribe at LeadSingerSyndrome.com. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Manage Mental Podcast, a weekly discussion on hot topics in the music biz for the up-and-comers, the brand newbies, the beginners, and aspiring rock stars of tomorrow. Yes, the struggle is real, my friends, but let us help you uncover some of the mystery that is this challenging business of rock and roll. I am your host. Mr. Blasco, and I am excited to be here today. As always, I am joined by my good friend, the co-host from the other coast, a record label owner, fellow artist manager, and Rocky Mountain mountain biker, Mr. Mike Mowry. What's up, Blasco? Good to be on with you once again. Still feeling a little bit of that nice rush from turning 21, and we're quickly moving into episode 22. And yeah, it's hilarious. I'm on the go this week, as are you. I am in a small town in Colorado, and right as we set up to do this podcast, (laughs) the internet in the town went out. So I'm tethering the internet from my phone onto my computer where we are on Skype and recording. So if there's any glitches or anything out there in podcast land, we apologize. But, you know, Blasco and I are determined to get these great episodes to you week in and week out. Damn straight. In the last episode, we talked about how to come up with a great band name. It was a really fun episode, so check it out if you haven't already. This week, we tackle some questions about management written to us from our listener, Sean Paramore. This is going to be killer, so let's get mental. Boy. So, Mike, what's new in your world? I'm having a blast. It's Friday, the day we're recording this week, and like I said, I'm out in Colorado loving life. Got on the mountain bike uh, every day that I've been here this week, and they've had perfect weather for me. Nice. I am uh, I am on tour still from last week, and uh, I'm in uh, Chicago today. We're going to play the uh, Bottom Lounge tonight. That's about it, man. We're, we've, we've started our trek west 
and uh, all has been well, man. The shows have been super fun and hot and sweaty and uh, uh, sold out and just, you know, fun times, man. Absolutely. I've seen some cool pictures online. You guys look epic as always and Bottom Lounge in Chicago on a Friday night. If I could be any other place than here, I might choose there. That's awesome. And um, yeah, it seems like you guys are having a blast doing your thing. And I'm glad to hear that everything's going really, really well. And thanks again for making yeah, time man. making time to fit this in. Hell yeah. So uh, one of our listeners, Sean Paramore, wrote in with some very specific questions about band managers. It goes like this. Please discuss the importance and many things to take into consideration before choosing professional management. Choosing the wrong management can take the wind out of your sails over a period of time and in many cases have led to the disbanding of a group that excelled musically but did not know the industry and trusted their team and was mishandled in every way. Such was the case personally with my old band. So her questions go like this uh, or his questions. I'm not really sure. <laughs> we keep think- I just keep thinking that it's Haley Williams writing in under the cover of the name Sean Paramore. <laughs> there, there you go. Should you go with management who has a similar sounding artist who have found a certain degree of success or the other direction with management that doesn't have an act like you yet? Will you fall into a formula of what's worked for those before you or create your own path? I mean, holy cow, if only it was as simple as choosing between A and B in this case. I mean, there's just so many layers when you talk about management and the long-term relationship that, you know, probably both the manager and the artist want to have with one another, you know, over the course of a very successful career. So, you know, I can't unpack it in a, yeah, of course, find somebody with a similar artist who's had success or, you know, take a chance on somebody who doesn't have an artist like you. I think what we would both agree on, correct me if I'm wrong, is most of the traits of good managers carry over in between genres. Now, that said, guys like you and I excel in the spaces that we currently exist because we spend a lot of time there and we've built up such great relationships. So the difference would be if I go and manage a pop act and, you know, I've taken a chance on a couple, maybe not pop. I've got this great band called Night Argent that's a little bit more rock in the vein of like an Imagine Dragons or something like that. You know, that one doesn't fit as easily, even though they've won the Ernie Ball Battle of the Bands to play Warp Tour and have played Warp Tour. It doesn't fit as easily into the wheelhouse of, you know, most of the really hard rock and, um, you know, independent labels that I talk to and the agents that I talk to and the other managers that I talk to and the publicists that I talk to day in and day out. So I would say, and my pitch to them was, look, I love your band. I hustle no matter who I work with, but I had to understand and and I was very upfront with them that, look, the people that I need to get in touch with to to take your band from where you are to where we want it to go is going to take me opening some new doors. And that's part of what was really exciting about it for me was I like opening new doors. I like meeting new people. What's your take on this one, Blasco? Yeah, I've very commonly seen the theme of a younger band going with a manager that has bands that they would like to tour with, right? So it's like, I've got a roster of bands that the young man, you know, wants to tour with or whatever, That which is, you know, thematically, 
on point, and I believe that's a good starting place. On the other hand, if those said bands that are bigger than you are, you know, that's not necessarily a shoe in that that's going to happen, right? A big band typically chooses who they want to have on tour, and that's typically their friends. And from my perspective, bands don't always necessarily want to do a manager a favor by putting their new client on tour with them because, you know, it's a competitive business and they aren't always, uh, you know, super friendly about something like that on one hand. Another perspective, like from my own perspective, is I personally like to spread it out a little bit. I'm not saying I, I really cross genres that much. I mean, I believe that everything that I work with is in the rock spectrum. But like I try and, and spread out the, the, uh, the demographics a little bit. Like I don't like to put myself in a position where I'm jammed up with a bunch of things that are all going after like the same tours. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 I try to avoid a situation where I'm submitting multiple bands for the same situation because I believe that that just ends up with like bad vibes, bad mojo, you know what I mean? Go like, oh, how come so-and-so got the tour and I didn't and da-da-da-da or whatever. It just, it just, it becomes, you create more problems for yourself, I find, that when that happens. No, I think you're exactly right. And, you know, there's been multiple times, you know, thankfully at this point in my career, I, I've got a lot of experience and, you know, I develop a lot of artists and I do. I handle a lot of artists, not only on the, you know, management side, but also on the label side. And part of what we're trying to do is, you know, find a lane for them and find certain tours for them. And there are times that you do find you're, you're competing. Now that said, that isn't always a terrible thing. I've had it where I've gone in to pitch somebody on a certain band and they say, you know what, Mike, uh, this band, you know, we like you, we want to do the, you know, you a solid if we can, uh, because, you know, they assume we'll return the favor down the line, but the band you're pitching isn't really the one we want. We actually know another band on your roster that we might want. So, you know, I think with all of this stuff, the recurring theme to me is how long have they been doing this? Have they had success with more than one act? There's plenty, anybody can get lucky once. You know, the question is, can you do it multiple times, which is really, really, really a challenge in this business. And, you know, what you want to do when you're when you're looking at managers is you actually want to look at their clients and potentially talk to their clients. You know, if a young band came to me and said, hey, can you give me five people to talk to references? I'd easily be able to find you know, five people that they could talk to. And I'm hoping that they would all give me glaringly positive reviews, but that might not be the case at all times. But you want to really do your research. I mean, I think Sean sounds as if he had, you know, an unfortunate relationship that didn't work for him. And I'm curious whether or not, you know, what what was his original criteria that he based that decision to go with the manager on? Yeah. How do you go about determining how much success a courting management has been a part of or responsible for when looking into their existing lineup. Yeah, I mean, again, these are such gray areas, but I think you've got to drill down a little bit more than surface value. You know, we don't utilize this podcast as a way to throw shade on anyone. That said, you know, I think you can look at certain companies' rosters and see where the work has potentially been done. It's interesting for me because I spend a lot of time talking about how I'm great at developing artists, and sometimes that gets overshadowed where people think that, you know, oh, well, he's just the developing artist guy. When in fact, I feel like once I get an artist to a certain level, I'm more than capable of continuing to, you know, handle those reins. 
and continue to move it on. But there's certain companies or, or, or managers that just aren't great at the developmental stuff. The developmental stuff, as you know, Blasco, is so much more challenging in some senses. And it's not to take, you know, it's not to try to, you know, beef myself up because that's what I do a lot of. But you really got to try really hard to get doors open and create opportunities for artists that nobody really knows or is familiar with. Once a band is established, a lot of it is figuring out how to say no to things <laughs> and make mm-hmm. sure that they're guided in the right way because, I mean, look, you got to know this from the clients you're handling. You must get ridiculous and silly offers to do things that you've got to figure out how to you know, guide your client to say no to on a daily basis is my guess. Absolutely, man. How much control and influence do you let your management and label have? Many managers and label personnel are not artists themselves, so there can be conflict in terms of direction. How much conflict should be allowed? I mean, I really like Sean's line of questioning. Sean, this is great. Um, You really must have, you know, you've got some experience because you're asking, in my mind, really key questions. So thank you for asking this one. I run into this all the time. And it can be very challenging because I find artists, they have a little bit of a myopic view. You know, they're in their zone. They're in the trenches most of the time, especially if we're talking about developing artists. And when you're in the trenches, most of the time, you know, you're, what you're doing is looking down the barrel of your gun at exactly what's in front of you. Your manager should be the guy up in the plane flying over the war zone, getting the lay of the land and can see not only what's going on in your trench, but where other pieces are moving. And so that gives the manager a bit broader of a perspective to be able to help guide and make decisions. Now that said, it's a very, very, very delicate balance because I feel like the best managerial band relationship is where the manager has to listen to the artist. They are in the trenches. If you're up in the sky and you just look down and see a trench, you got no clue whether or not it's hot down there, cold down there, you know, the wind is blowing, what's happening on the ground. So the artist is the one that's gonna give you that feedback. They're going to tell you, you know, what's going on at that level. And if you don't take that into consideration in combination with the perspective that you have, you're not going to make the best decision for them. So to me, it's one of those where I find myself, I try to be a very strategic manager and I really try to, you know, empathize and understand where the artist is, but guide them based on my experience and my perspective from the guy up in the plane. Yeah, I mean... You know, it's very much a case by case basis, you know, in terms of what someone needs. I mean, someone like, say, like, you know, like a Rob Zombie or a Marilyn Manson that has a very visionary focus on their career, you know, they probably don't need a visionary type of manager as much as they just need someone organized enough to categorize all their vision and lay it out in a way to where it makes sense, right? In terms of a, a tour rollout and a record rollout and all that stuff. Whereas maybe there's other, you know, artists to where they like, they're just like, I just write songs, man. Like, I don't know. Like I have no, I have no vision for what, what it is and which is totally fine as well. So, you know, in a situation like that, you know, more of a visionary manager is probably more helpful in terms of building a, a relationship in that, that manager's got something to offer to the artist 
that needs to fill those gaps, right? And uh, and stuff. So for me, I mean, like I come from an artist perspective as well as a business perspective, and I feel like I I I let the client know, like, hey, look, I've done X, Y, and Z, and that may or may not be sexy to you or whatever. But just so you know, if you want my opinion in terms of creativity, you know, I'm here. I can go as I can go all the way in in terms of helping you work on songs and developing art or whatever, or I can be on the sidelines and you just ask my opinion when you want it. You know, you know, I've handled every facet of that type of relationship and you just find, you know, over time you just kind of find what works, you know, in terms of this line of questioning, it's if you're in a position to have the ability to sort of pick and choose, you know, a manager of, of, you know, of your liking. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've got a good friend who, you know, has worked with a number of clients and, and, you know, he and I have commiserated much as you and I have done over, you know, the past few years. And I've asked him, you know, how he handles things. And he says, look, you know, I roll in at the very beginning of my relationship and explain to the artist that, like, they need to trust me and they need to understand that I'm always going to act in their best interest. And at times it might be at odds with, you know, what they think is best for them. But again, as long as that's not confrontational and as long as the artist does have that trust, I mean, I go through it all the time. In fact, I'm going through it currently with a with a, a band that, you know, they're starting to get some support offers and they're trying to say yes to some things that maybe myself and the agent don't necessarily think is what's best for them. And so, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, part of what I end up weighing is – okay, if the artist is super passionate about this, like if they really think they need to do this and we don't, how much damage will it end up doing if we allow them to do it, right? We make that list of pros and cons. You know, we want the band to be able to go out. It might surprise us. You know, that's the thing. I'm, I'm always willing to listen to the artist because they very well may know better than me at some point. And as long as I'm not so convinced and so, you know, opposed to something or in the opposite side, feel so strongly about something, as long as it's not going to do detrimental damage to their career, I'll say, okay, let's go your way this time, you know, but let's keep tabs on it. And if it worked, fantastic. And if it doesn't, maybe next time, you know, you guys listen to us on this one. So it is, it's just such a good, delicate balance. And especially on the developmental front, it's something that you're, that you know, you're absolutely going to face each and every, you know, situation that comes up. Agreed, man. Agreed. Once comfortable with your choice for management, what kind of contract should be discussed? Should a band be held to contract if they feel their management is not fulfilling their duties with the utmost attention and competence? I could write an entire book on this. And in fact, I feel like I might have, and I do an entire coaching platform that, you know, handles Mm. situations sort of like this. But I will say from my experience, you know, it really depends on where the artist is and how much, you know, it's going to take to grow the artist. You know, in fact, most developing bands, you know, I've got a couple of bands on my roster that we're moving into album two and we've been at it with them three, maybe four years and they've gotten great opportunities, but they're not generating enough money for themselves, nor really even, you know, for us on the managerial side, we're seeing it as a long-term 
relationship, which is why we've been interested and willing to put the work in for four years. But it's got to go on another four to six years for us to probably have seen the return on our investment. And even though I don't view you know what we do solely in terms of money, both professional bands and professional managers and management companies are running businesses. So I think you just got to be super cognizant. I mean, it's always tough for me because I think there's times when the band doesn't think the manager is doing his or her job when in fact <laughs> you know the manager might be sitting there doing exactly what they should be doing at that time yeah I mean for me you know there is there is no obviously there is no specific template that falls into the artist manager relationship but I feel like the answer to this question comes down to communication and communicating, you know, artist and manager relationship of like, it just comes down to like daily, weekly, you know, communication of just like, does everyone feel like everybody, you know, everything's getting done the way that it's supposed to be getting done, airing grievances, celebrating highlights, you know, and, and, and accomplishments, you know, and it's like, like a brand new band for me, like, I feel like I got to have a contract with someone brand new just to protect everybody's level of, of interest. And then something that maybe comes along that's more established, you talk about it, but from my experience, contracts are a little unnecessary at that point because everyone sort of knows the lay of the land. And it's kind of like, if everybody's happy, it's cool, let's keep rolling. And if everybody's unhappy, we'll all know, you know, right away. But once again, though, just to reiterate, to me, it comes down to a matter of communication. And, you know, I, I think if you're, if you're in on top of your communication relationship there, then everyone will know if it's feeling good or not. And if it's not like, like I, I don't want to manage, you know, I don't want to manage a band that's, that doesn't want to be managed by me. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be man. I, I don't want to be managing someone that feels super unhappy. Like, I don't want to feel like I'm like, I've, I, I've corralled or sequestered somebody that, that feels like they should be getting more out of their career than I can give them. Right. Like, I don't, I, I don't want to yeah, be that guy. I, I, I completely respect that. And I think we have a little bit different perspectives. I mean, I've definitely had some relationships with artists where, you know, for whatever reason, either they woke up on the wrong side of the bed one day or truthfully, they thought somebody else could do a better job because, you know, at the moment they had a bigger client roster. And it's been amazing, you know, once those bands have left to just watch how their career trajectory continues to go either the same way that it would have had I stayed involved, you know, meaning the new manager didn't come in with some magic potion and allow them to explode in the way that, you know, I'm sure the band thought that it would, you know, so that's just what's really troublesome for me in some senses. A band might not want to work with you because they think there's a better opportunity around, you know, around door number two, when in fact, you've put in a whole bunch of work, you know, you've built it to the place where anybody that does what we do competently for a living could come in and guide that career. You know, it's really, especially on the developmental side, which is why I agree with you on the contract part there. You know, when you come in at that level and do those first three, four years of work that I just mentioned, that's where the real, real, real difference, you know, is truly made. It's getting the band from the kiddie pool to the freaking high dive in, you know, so they can go in and, and make the dive and the judges, you know, can judge them from there. Yep. Lastly, would either one of you work with an up and coming artist you believed to have a sound 
drive, and plan if they firmly decided to stay independent from label representation at that time in their developing career? I mean, absolutely on my end. In fact, you know, so much of what I've done through my career is encourage bands to stay independent till we built leverage that they could then, you know, get a good deal from a label or prove themselves, you know, to a label. When I pick up a developing artist, especially before I had my label, but even now, so much of what I do is is build that team. And that team oftentimes does include a label, but you know, I've got the infrastructure. And if the band understands, you know, the pros and cons that come along with being independent, uh, I'm more than happy to to take on an artist like that. I don't know about yourself. I, I mean, look, I totally agree. Like, I encourage bands to stay independent for as long as possible for nothing else, just to prove that there's a fan base there. They're just to prove that there's something to work with, right? Like, I mean, I'm a manager, man. Like, I'm not like a, a fan creator, you know? Like, it, it's like they got to stay independent to the point to where they can no longer handle the business, right? They can no longer handle the influx of like, man, we're getting offers coming in. Uh, you know, we, we can't we, we can't handle like the amount of fans that we're getting. Like we don't know what, you know, we, we're booking our own shows, but like we need to tour, but we can't do it without an agent and there's a demand. Like, right? Like when the, when the demand dictates what it is, then that's whenever people like you and I can come in and we can, you know, properly do a job because we can help navigate what, you know, what's next. But yes, I highly encourage staying independent for as long as you can. And now more than ever, an artist can do that. You know what I mean? Like you don't need a label to put your shit on Spotify. You don't need a label to record an album. Like you don't need a label to write your songs. Like, you know what I mean? Like you don't, you don't need you don't need managers and labels and stuff to 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 be an independent band these days. So, uh, you know, I highly encourage it. I agree. I mean, I do think that there are a lot of managers that don't want to put in that kind of work and and that's taking, you know, not necessarily taking anything away from them. It's just that, you know, certain people are better at working, you know, with other people doing the heavy lifting. I think that's what you know, differentiates you and I in some senses is, you know, we're just not opposed to digging in, getting our hands dirty and doing the work um, alongside our artists, provided we can, of course, you know, see the, those benefits that are coming down the line. No doubt. Well, that concludes episode 22. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. We will be back here next week. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Blasco1313. We encourage you to email us any questions or comments you may have for the podcast to me directly at askblasco at gmail.com. Because, hey, people, we do this show for you. Consider it a tool for understanding this ever so challenging and confusing business of music. If you have listened this far, much respect to you for making efforts to educate yourselves and taking your future into your own hands. Mike, any final parting thoughts? 
There's an article in The Guardian from when Lord fired her manager. And it talks about how oftentimes a band's first manager is really their best manager. It's the person that digs in early, cares in a way that no other manager will after that, which I just think is such an interesting read. And then there's one, it's an Instagram post that the guy, Pat the manager, who is Chance the Rapper's manager, he posted. I think he sums up what a great manager is in this short little screenshot that he put up on Instagram. So I'll link both of those in the show notes. But no, on my end, Blasco, you know, just everyone, you can contact me, Twitter and Instagram, at Mike O'Loop. I know many of you hear me talking about my coaching platform here. And if you like what we're doing on this, you know, podcast, and if you like what I have to say, you can get a lot more of that at outerloopcoaching.com. We're actually wrapping up our first session of 60 Days to Signable next week. It's been incredible, and I'm about to put two new products up on the line, and it's all about self-releasing and how to best lay that plan out, as well as how to take advantage, get on charts, figure out how to make sure you can get stuff streamed on Spotify. So I'm just so excited with what we're offering here, and um, I encourage you guys to go over to outerloopcoaching.com and check it all out. Blasco, I hope you have a blast on the rest of your tour, when are you done? June 17th is our last show for this uh, little for leg one of our headline tour. Holy cow, so two more weeks, I love it. Yep. All right, well my brother, be safe as always. I appreciate you making the time and digging through and finding these great articles for us to discuss. I'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks everybody. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.